if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Yes, indeed. And hour number two, uh, two is underway at ten minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday, the twenty fourth morning of the eleventh month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty. And if the fact that it's a Tuesday didn't tell you it was a Kersenow day, perhaps the music will. Peter Kersenow joining us on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Pete is. Uh, well, he's lots of things. He's a best-selling author. He is a columnist with the National Review. He happens to be an attorney in Cleveland, uh, and he also happens to be a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. And yes, he was indeed born to be wild. Hey, Pete, how are you? <laughs> Bob, I'm doing great. Thanks for the bumper music. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm uh, kind of suspending judgment with respect to how the country's doing in the election and everything else like that. I just want to see everything play out. There's so much misinformation out there or peculiar information that I can't really uh, process and digest, but we're trying to keep on top of everything. It's like uh, drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, it really is uh, the way the news is coming at us so fast and furiously right now. Um, but we are. I'm going to ask you, you can't uh, withhold judgment because I'm going to ask you to judge. A lot of the elements with respect to the election and the ongoing lawsuits and everything else that happened, as well as uh, the uh, Chinese coronavirus and the ongoing orders to essentially cut yourself off from all of your family members unless you happen to be a member of the leftist political elite. In fact, let me start there, Peter Kersenow. Um Tell me about your, your Thanksgiving plans, be as precise or not as you wish yeah, well, uh, because we are being told we are being told by the left that we can't get together with anybody that doesn't live in our bubble uh, which means in our own personal household and if you do dare to bring somebody in from out of your household you better make sure they have a covid test before they come you better make sure that you and they are wearing masks while they're over and oh by the way you better eat your thanksgiving meal together outside uh and, and they, literally all of those things have been recommended in various places so what are you doing for thanksgiving and how do you address all of that it's going to be it's going to be a a subdued Thanksgiving, but not because we're responding to any mandates from any governmental entity. It's just that in my family, we've got a few people who are extremely vulnerable. And so we've decided on our own as Americans to be prudent about these things. That's all. We don't take an outsized view of coronavirus in my family. I mean, my entire family is a little bit to the right of Attila the Hun. 
but that's not the point. Um, the point is not that we're to the right of it till the hung. The point is that we are Americans who are fully capable of making rational decisions. And the rational decision we made had nothing to do with any government mandate, but it had to do with prudence with respect to certain members of our family. So typically we have about 20 people or so that gather, and we're not going to have that many this year. And we may get together in smaller groups during the course of the holiday season, uh, groups in the course of the holiday season. Uh, what distresses me about all of these mandates that are coming up because of the re-spike of coronavirus is that, among other things, I think, first of all, it's a, it's a, a complete, um, it, it, the authority that's being exercised is extraordinary and is not calibrated to the facts. Yes, as we've discussed, Bob, for the last eight months, most state governments, governors, do have extraordinary latitude when it comes to public health. It's in their constitutions and, legislate, and legislation in the various states. Same with Ohio. It's got to be rationally related, however, any order that is, to the objective or the putative objective of the governmental authority. And for the last eight months, um, I have seen very little rational relationship between the Dacronian measures that many of our executive branch officers have exercised, state officers have exercised in response to coronavirus. It's, you know, they keep saying follow the science, but uh, they're not following science whatsoever. We have another shutdown going on in, in various iterations across the country. Most of them are completely baffling. Uh, I'm not going to say that no measures should be taken. That's not my point. I think rational and prudent measures should be taken. It's a serious disease. It's not the bubonic plague. Um, but what we've seen is almost a delight on the part of executive branch officials in issuing these orders. We've seen significant hypocrisy. But we've seen very little rational relationship between many of the orders and the desired outcome of reducing the number of deaths from coronavirus. It, but I think, Bob, you and I probably agree. We've talked about this. I am less concerned about the number of cases because cases don't mean anything. First of all, we get a lot of false positives. Second of all, most cases are either asymptomatic or very mild. We care about those individuals who are peculiarly vulnerable and may suffer some you know, they may die or get extremely ill. We've also been concerned about hospital overruns. But none of the things that they've been implementing really is measured to eliminate or alleviate those circumstances. It's just really nutty. Let's just ask this question. If shutdowns work, then why is it that if the first shutdown worked, why do we need a second one? And if the first shutdown didn't work, why are we doing a second one? It, it Why do we need a second one? <laughs> it's same <exactly>. question. <laughs> it's exact. It's mind-boggling. I don't understand. Well, it. what and they've set I, up I, for us, Pete, they they've set up a system where they can't lose, whether it be with shutdowns or the mask mandates. If the mask man, if a mask mandate is is put into effect and cases go down, they say, "See, masks work." If mask mandates are given and cases go up, they say, "You're not wearing your mask often enough." They say it's your fault. You didn't do it. So they they've put themselves in a win win. They cannot lose with their argument. Masks cannot be defeated. But the problem is, <clears throat> of course. 
that they can when they make mistakes uh, by, by telling us that everybody is using the mask. And that's what we talked about this last week. I don't want to rehash old ground <clears throat> excuse me, too much, but Mike DeWine said that 85 to 90% of Ohioans are indeed following through with the mask mandate. And if that's the case, you know, that's roughly 10 million out of the 11 million Ohioans that are doing what he wants to do, and yet the cases are spiking. So clearly that means the mask mandate is ineffective and should be uh, uh, eliminated immediately just in favor of common sense, like you're practicing by not having your uh, elderly, more vulnerable family members come over to Thanksgiving this year. Now, you compare that, Pete. That's your choice as a free American and their choice as free Americans. Compare that to the elites. Compare that to uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York, who has been spending weeks telling everybody, do not travel for Thanksgiving. Do not go to family members' homes. Stay in your home. Stay in your bubble. This is what needs to be done. But when asked on a radio show yesterday in New York, he, he, he let his guard down. And they said, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And he said, oh, mom's coming over and two of my, two of my girls. Mom is 89 in the Cuomo family. 89. She's in that vulnerable group. And the two girls, I don't know if they're healthy or not, but they're family members who don't live with them, and they're all coming for Thanksgiving. So again, Peter, you know, it's the rules apply to thee, but not to me. And that is what's so infuriating. Yeah, that's, that is a major reason why it's infuriating. Um, I think that, you know, the elites have a, their own set of rules. They like dictating to us. What's infuriating to me, well, maybe troubling to me, is the complacency on the part of a lot of people. Now, this is mainly on the left, and it's bizarre that a disease can spark, you know, person divides like this. It's just, this is the strangest time I can remember, I think, ever. But the elites have their own set of rules, and it's one of the reasons why I think people are frustrated. The elites are getting paid no matter what. Look at where the divide is, and the divide chiefly resides among those people who can afford a shutdown. That is, among government people who are not losing their jobs, they're going to get a paycheck regardless. Uh, other people who may be extremely wealthy and can afford it, you know, fine, shutdown's fine with them. You know, they prefer not to have it because they, you know, they, most people don't like a shutdown, but they can afford a shutdown. But then those who are dependent on day-to-day work, their livelihoods, their businesses, those folks are saying, wait a minute, I'm in a country that is supposed to be founded upon liberty and also some common sense, and yet we are being told what to do on pain of legal penalty, and we're losing our livelihoods. We may never regain our businesses, and you guys have been all, meaning the elites, have been all over the map in terms of what is efficacious, what isn't, in terms of whether or not these standards will apply to you and yours as opposed to people you don't know. It's incredibly infuriating, and it goes simply beyond coronavirus, because what's troubling is that a significant percentage of Americans in the land of the free seem to be okay with accepting ridiculous mandates. If the mandates showed that they did have a real effect, they might have a greater argument, not a completely a solid argument, but a better argument. But the many things that they have implemented, and the many standards they've come up with, and the many uh, explanations they've come up with, have all shown to be, at best, questionable, and at worst, nutty and wrong. Americans are capitulating to this at a much greater percentage than I think many of us would have expected a year ago. We thought that the Pete, land of the free and home of the brave had a little bit more you know, common sense. Pete, I want to focus on 
wrong more than nutty with what you just said. You said nutty and wrong, but let me focus on this part real quick. It's already 1021. All right, you know what? I can't do it. Uh, let me get out. Let me get out. We'll come back in. I'm going to ask you about this part. You talk about wrong. One of the reasons they're telling us everybody has to mask, and one of the reasons they're telling us everybody has to have uh, tests before they go from one state to another, they have to be test- tested before they go into a, uh, a public facility, and all of these other restrictions, is because people don't know they're sick, that asymptomatic people are leading to the spread. This is what we've been told. And I'm telling you right now, they're wrong, and they've been proven wrong. And Peter now I want to get your reaction to that proof right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1025, right back with Kersenow. Pete, I want to share this with you. Bear with me as I give you the details on it. Um, you're talking about uh, so much of what we are being told is wrong and nutty, and I want to focus on the wrong. We have been told over and over and over again by the federal government and all of the quote-unquote science that asymptomatic spread is the real problem here with, with COVID-19. You don't have to be sick to be sick. You don't have to feel sick to be sick. Uh, you can be sick and not even know it may infect other people, and that's why you better wear a mask and you better stay away for six feet away, blah, 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 right? It's hogwash. We can dismiss that, uh, that belief that everybody should be treated, treated like lepers now because of a study. Now listen very carefully. Beginning in May, the Chinese government conducted the largest mass testing for COVID-19 anywhere on the globe. Out of 10 million people tested in Wuhan, just 300 out of 10 million were positive and all were asymptomatic. None of them spread it to their contacts. That's zero out of 1,174 contacts. According to the study published in Nature Communications, none of those who tested positive produced live virus in the cultures. This explains easily why none of them seem to infect others. Now, as Daniel Horowitz writes at Conservative Review, we can dismiss this at our own peril simply because the study came from China. But let's not forget that the Chinese stand to benefit from the rest of the world panicking over asymptomatic spread and purchasing more personal protection equipment. The market for that is dominated by Chinese companies. Moreover, this study harmonizes with other research and the prevailing common sense for decades. Dr. Fauci himself, the grand poobah of epidemiology, we're told, before this all became political and a tool for control, stated very emphatically that, quote, the driver of outbreaks is always a symptomatic person. Even if there is some asymptomatic transmission in all the history of respiratory viruses, Dr. Fauci said, of any type, asymptomatic transmission has never been the driver of outbreaks. So, Peter Kersenow, you take those things together here, and how can it be anything but control? It can't be about the health to mandate these masks. It can't be about health, isolating people six feet apart, closed businesses. There has to be another reason, because from a science standpoint, well, I just read it to you. Peter, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I don't think. Now I can. I don't think we had you up. Go ahead, Pete. Okay. Um, Pete? What's instructive about this? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, Pete, go ahead. You're on. Okay. Uh, One of the things that's instructive about all of this is the degree to which the government will exercise controls that have absolutely no bearing on the purported outcome and the extent to which 
the, the surprise is the extent to which Americans will comply with things that after a period of time have been shown not to be efficacious whatsoever or that the government has changed the reasons or explanations and, and explanations and reasons have proven to be ineffective or flat out wrong. And yet, because of the nature of this, they've exercised extraordinary power that many people are, are simply capitulating to. And the question becomes, when, when is this going to happen again? Because uh, I don't think that this is the first, uh, the, the last time this is going to happen. And they're going to exercise probably more power the next time they do this. It's been instructive to our elites the extent to which large groups of people will simply obey whatever the dictates may be, despite the fact that over a period of nine months, those dictates have repeatedly proven to be wrong or misguided. Very troubling, and I don't think this is the last time. Now, others have speculated that the next time they're going to try something like this is with some type of climate change scare. It's got to be something that's scary. It's got to be something uh, of the, the scale of a pandemic. And elites and so-called experts will come out and say we've got to do certain things, that is, give up certain freedoms in order to survive, in order to alleviate whatever major problem is, is the next uh, great scare. And th that's, that's troubling and frightening. And I don't think that as a culture we have, I, think we've, I, don't, I don't think we've reconciled ourselves to these incursions on our liberty. And so many people are so willing to go along with this, especially in the media, that, uh, and, and now uh, so many in our uh, various state and federal governments that, you know, I, I think this is, pretends very poorly for the future. And for those of us who we are willing to take measured risks in order to preserve our liberty, we have to be very concerned about whether our liberty is going to be as broad as it had been prior to March of 2020. Uh, very concerning, Bob, very concerning. No question about that. Peter Kirsten, now I'm going to let you take a break and a breath uh, here during the news. On the flip side, we'll come back and get into the election situation. We have conflicting kind of news out of the White House today, Pete, and we'll ask you about that. The president has given the transition team the approval to go ahead and begin the formal process. However, it does not mean he has given up. The legal fight is just getting started. Kirsten now analyzes that next on 81420 The Answer. Okay, 1036, right back with Personnel uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, the Trump uh, administration today uh, gave the GSA permission to begin the formal transfer of power proceedings with the Biden team. That was very depressing to a lot of people. They feel like, they feel like President Trump is giving up and acknowledging a Biden win. Uh, but while this is happening... Several other things are happening. Lawsuits are being filed in several states. There is an appeal to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals in Pennsylvania after the Obama judge tossed out their first lawsuit. They were granted an expedited appeal, so that'll be heard, I think, by 4 o'clock today, or I think the, the briefs were, were due by then. So it's going to happen very, very fast. And meanwhile, uh, Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood are among those still investigating, investigating the broad, widespread election fraud that they allege because of the Dominion software. So they're still fighting, but they are preparing for the worst and preparing for a peaceful transition, the president said, in the interest or in our country's best interest. What do you make of all of that, Pete? Um, what is the likelihood that the fight goes on and that the fight can be won? Yeah, I, I'm not involved in those lawsuits. Um, 
but I have been in contact with individuals who have been or are on the periphery of it. And even if I weren't, I would simply say, just as a matter of common sense, not to read too much into anything that you see, such as Sidney Powell supposedly being divorced from uh, the Trump legal campaign or legal team, um, or that the GSA is beginning the transition phase, that's a prudent thing to do. This is the United States of America, the most powerful nation on earth. We've got a number of of, uh, huge organizations, institutions, and responsibilities to take care of. So it would be imprudent when things are up in the air for any administration not to begin taking steps just in case, because there's no guarantee of what the outcome may be. Now, many of us think that there were uh, just uh, astonishing irregularities. We could go through them all. They're almost mind-boggling. It is also true that we don't yet have hard evidence of irregularities or fraud to the extent that it would sufficiently overturn various states to give Trump the win. We don't have that proof yet. We've got allegations, but we don't have proof. Could that proof come? It sure could. Um, I think that these individuals, such as, you know, I heard during the break that um, Senator Portman, for whom I have a great deal of respect, and I think John Kasich, uh, I'm not sure if I can say the same, um, have said, have been urging the president to begin to make a transition and also that maybe he should concede. Um, all due respect to them, I'm not sure how they know that the president won't prevail in the end, because there have been significant verified irregularities here. Is it sufficient? I don't know, but that's the point. They don't know either. So to urge someone to concede when things are still up in the air is, at best, premature. I'm being very, very circumspect in saying that. If it were okay. up to me, uh, you know, putting aside you know, the law uh, for a moment. If we're up to me, I think there's an overarching need for the president to fight on until the last dog is dead. I really believe that. After four years of seeing what has happened to this president and to the rule of law and to our institutions and to the corruption of these institutions, I think it's imperative for him to fight on even beyond the issue with respect to his presidency and whether or not uh, he's going to prevail in this election. All right, Pete, two follow-ups to that. Number one, um, I talked about this before you came on, but I want to get your thoughts on it. The hard evidence hasn't been presented yet, if, if it exists. And they have said that's because we don't present it. Ellis said very directly, we're not presenting this to you, media, uh, because you're not impartial jurors. You are already decided that President Trump is, is evil, et cetera, et cetera. We're presenting this to real impartial jurors, or at least judges. That's one more hard evidence, number one. But there is enough circumstantial evidence only if you ask yourself this question, Peter. And I'm quoting Dennis Prager. I should say I'm crediting Dennis Prager for talking about it this way. If the left truly believes Trump is as bad as he is, and they do, they think he's Hitler, they think he's a white supremacist, a white nationalist, a racist, uh, and all the uh, fascist, all the things in between. If they really believed he was evil incarnate, should we honestly believe that they would be above cheating to get him removed? Should we honestly think that they would just roll the dice that, hey, we hope we've convinced the American people, and boy, you know, if he wins, well, that's the way it goes. If you literally thought Hitler was on the ballot, wouldn't you cheat to get him removed? And that's that's something that you really have to ask, especially when you, when you consider some of the numbers. Trump improved on his uh, um, uh, percentage of the black vote by about 50% from the last time around to this time around. He got more votes than he got as a first-time uh, a presidential candidate 
did it this time around. No president has ever lost. No incumbent has ever lost it when he improved on his numbers the first time around. And the fact that, let's be real, again, just with our eyes, you know, Joe Biden can't fill up a parking lot. Donald Trump is filling up arenas, and yet we're supposed to believe Joe Biden got nearly 80 million votes and Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, lost by, by that many. And, and, and finally, we've talked about this too, Pete, the red wave that swept the Republicans through the, the, the uh, House of Representatives to the tune of a 12-seat gain, I think is where it stands right now. Yet all of those red voters didn't vote for Trump. I think there's enough circumstantial evidence and questions to say, yes, we need to fight on. We do not concede until some of those answers, have, some of those questions have answers, Pete. Yeah, I think the American people deserve that, and that's only a partial litany. You, we could spend, Bob, literally the next 45 minutes yeah. going through the anomalies and irregularities that are mind-boggling. They truly are. You don't have to be partisan about this. Yes, I'm a big-time Trump supporter, but in terms of the integrity of the American electoral process and our institutions, it's imperative that we get to the bottom of this, because these things can't be explained away. And kind of piggybacking more specifically on what Dennis said, Dennis Prager said, I mean, this is a party, by the way, the Democratic Party, who for the last five years, and when I say Democratic Party, I'm including the media, uh, and I'm not doing that, you know, kind of, you know, jocularly, that is true. The, the media are part and parcel of this. For the last four years, they've been telling us that without any evidence, remember how very often in the last two weeks you've heard from journalists saying Trump alleges without evidence that there's been fraud. Without evidence is, you know, the kind of the catchphrase. But yeah. for four years they yeah. had no compunctions whatsoever by that alleging that Trump was a Russian stooge, a stooge for Putin, despite the fact that they had absolutely no evidence. They had a team of partisan Hillary supporters with an unlimited budget and the, the full resources of the FBI go after him and they found absolutely nothing. Trump must be the cleanest candidate in the history of American politics because he has been scrutinized more than anybody in history. But yes, if you knew that the Democrats would go to that extent, they were actually spying on the Trump campaign. They issued false FISA warrants. We know that the top echelon of the Obama administration was involved in this and involved in the unmaskings. We could go rehash this over and over again, but for four years they perpetuated this fraud on the American people attempting, first of all, to impede the transition and then to, to stage what can only be described as a coup by trying to overturn the legitimately elected president of the United States. And now, all of a sudden, they're playing nice and saying, exactly no, what it was. There couldn't be any fraud. Uh, this is implausible. And you know what? One of the, the problems I've got with very sober-minded people, we should all be very sober, very you know, attentive to facts and not make wild accusations and speculation, but we're not doing so. What bothers me about the ostensible sober people is how quickly they will capitulate in the face of overwhelming evidence. This is really hard evidence, and beyond the evidence is what you've been indicating. There's so much there that doesn't make sense. We know, right. for example, that Biden, I'll just give you one, Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton, no, no surprise there, but right. underperformed Hillary Clinton in all the key battleground states that are determinative in this election. And in, those in the blue wall states. Very, in the blue wall states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and, and Georgia, Georgia's <laughs> not blue wall, but Georgia, and he, he underperformed Hillary Clinton in the four metropolitan areas where we see extensive voter fraud. Um, but, but only, no, I strike that. Only in those states did he underperform, but in those four locations of Philadelphia, Georgia, uh, Atlanta, Detroit, and Milwaukee, you have voter participation upwards of 93%. Never happened before. 
implausible with a candidate who had the lowest voter enthusiasm ratings in history. And we're expected to believe that the guy who was in his basement, the only, the only thing he ever did was pop out every once in a while like the groundhog, and as you indicated, his rallies had maybe 12 desultory people attending. <laughs> he nonetheless achieved this tremendous electoral victory. Now, maybe it's, it's possible, but what I say to the people, the alleged... But it deserves a full saying, investigation. Exactly. For those people who are saying, ah, no, there's no evidence whatsoever, you should, you should just concede. I say, are you mm. kidding me? You weren't saying concede to the Democrats in 2016, yet here with all of this, you're saying concede there was no evidence of Russia collusion, absolutely none, and an implausible accusation with respect to the Steele dossier, which all of us knew in the very beginning. Every single one of us said, this is nuts. But what we have right. here are Phyllis. hundreds of verified affidavits that indicate that there's something wrong going on. And even if it's insufficient to overturn the outcome of the election for the integrity of the electoral process, which you have to have in a democratic right. republic, we have to conduct the investigation. That is so important. It's not necessarily going to be just for Trump, but this is for the future to make sure. And, and by the way, we, we've got to point this out too, Pete. You know, people think that it's just Republican sour grapes saying that, oh, the, the software was, uh, was, was, you know, uh, modified, that the algorithms were changed and votes were flipped, et cetera, et cetera. They forget to, po- they forget or they don't know or they're just trying to bury the fact that literally one year ago in 2019, Democrats, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, and um, uh, Ron Wyden all wrote a letter expressing extraordinary concern about the use of the Dominion software for voting and vote counting because of glitches and flipped votes uh, performed on their software. Now, they said this a year ago. Now they want us to believe that there's no way that could happen. That doesn't exist. No Uh, way, because their guy was the beneficiary of this. Yeah, uh, actually, Bob, that began among the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, more than a year ago. It began... Four years ago, they started talking about this, and were indicating they were setting off alarm bells, saying this is a major, major problem. Now they say you're, you're right, Pete. You're right. I was speaking wrong. specifically of the letter, though, that right. they wrote in 2019. But you're right; they started talking about this. The formal letter of complaint was written, though, in 2019 by those Democrats who now want to pretend, pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, and Pete, in the short time we have left, I want to talk about lawyers with you, uh, for obvious reasons. Now. Um, the Trump team on Monday declared very, or actually it was Sunday night, I think it was, declared that, you know, Sidney Powell is not part of our team. Uh, and what she did or what she said was, well, hold on, let me just read this real fast for you if I can. Um, the statement from Rudy Giuliani and Jen Ellis was, quote, Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She is not a member of the Trump legal team. She is also not a lawyer for the president in his personal capacity. Now, a lot of people took that as they fired her, they divorced from her, etc., because she's so far out there on a conspiracy theory of 410 electoral votes, etc., etc., that they don't want to be a part of it. They didn't divorce her. They simply clarified that she has not been actually a paid attorney for the Trump team. What she is doing is on behalf of the people and the electoral process as much as it is for Donald Trump. Now, for her uh, part in this, she said, 
I agree with the campaign statement that I am not part of the legal team. I never signed a retainer agreement or sent the president or the campaign a bill for my expenses or fees. My intent has always been to expose all the fraud I could find and let the chips fall where they may, whether it be upon Republicans or Democrats. The evidence I'm compiling is overwhelming that this software tool was used to shift millions of votes from President Trump and other Republican candidates to Biden and other Democratic candidates. We are proceeding to prepare our lawsuit and plan to file it this week. It will be epic. All right, Pete, two questions there to finish this off. One, is it a big deal that they sent out the statement saying she's not with us? And number two, she is doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down, and she has said directly in previous interviews, I do not say anything that I cannot prove. It's just that she hasn't proved it to the media yet. She wants to prove it to a judge. Your thoughts? Uh, I'll try to make this as quickly as possible. But, uh, I was troubled by the fact that Sidney Powell hadn't presu- uh, presented any evidence at this point. But let me just say a couple things. I don't know Sidney Powell. I know people who know her. Everyone who knows her says she's as serious as a heart attack. She is one of the most credible people imaginable. You saw how she represented Michael Flynn, for example, uh, when nobody else could get him off, and they kind of consigned him to prison, basically. Sidney Powell, uh, you know, comes back, fights hard, and makes, you know, great arguments uh, to overturn his conviction, or at least now, you know, the the judge in uh, D.C. is still playing games with it. But nonetheless, um, Sidney Powell is a credible person. Point number two about this is, even if there are questions about Sidney Powell being credible, from a a sheer self-preservation standpoint, it boggles the mind that an attorney of her experience would make the kind of accusations and allegations she's making. Because keep in mind what she's saying. She's saying something profoundly serious about a couple of major companies whose entire business model depends on accuracy and integrity. It's a voting machine issue. She is saying that Dominion and and the other one, Smart Tech, whatever it's called, um, have all kinds of of issues and were created for the purpose of, you know, playing some games here with the, the election process. She's making bold allegations that could subject her to significant defamation actions and possible other sanctions. I mean, she could lose her livelihood in a heartbeat if what she's saying can't be verified. We will find out if she's got the goods. But it's surprising to me that anybody of her stature and gravity would make allegations as significant as she's making. Because I would be wondering, I'd be scratching my head if anybody made those kinds of, of, because they're broad-based allegations of massive fraud. And they're huge! Simply, She's not alleging he slipped by and and would have won a couple of states more. She's saying he would have just landslide. I mean, bigger than than Reagan over Mondale, for crying out loud. Bigger than Nixon in 17. She's she's saying he won 410 electoral votes. Lynn Wood is kind of backing her in that. It's really an amazing thing. So you're right, Pete. Her career and her credibility are all on the line. I apologize for finishing your thought for you there, but we are out of time. Peter, I will not talk to you before Thanksgiving. I hope you and your family enjoy it in the way that you choose as a free person uh, and I hope you uh, uh, I wish you all very uh, much happiness and health and we'll talk to you again next week Tim to you Bob and your listening audience <clears throat> thank you Peter Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420 The Answer you gotta get out so we can come back in and wrap this bad boy up on AM 1420 The Answer
into our last segment of the broadcast today. Always a short one, but we have time for a call or two here before we wrap it up. And I go outside and greet the NathansDetailing.com guy who's detailing my car right now outside the studio. Yeah, it's so cool. you got to get one of those. Get, get a gift certificate for somebody or buy for yourself. NathansDetailing.com. They come to you. He's detailing my car, and I don't have to take it to a shop. It's so cool. I'm going to go off from a Gatorade or something. Uh, Pete in uh, Olmstead Falls. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Pete. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. What's on your mind? Um, there's a follow-up on your previous caller about the mist that kills the uh, coronavirus and everything else. The yeah. uh, name of the company is Tommy Environmental Solutions. The name of the product is Mist, And what it uses is something that our body naturally produces every time we take a breath. When we take a breath of the outside air, breathe in all the nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, helium, and everything else that's in it, our lungs has, and down in the ovuli, has to convert that air into pure oxygen so it can transfer through the membrane wall and into our blood cells. So this material is a natural occurring... You sound like uh, a doctor. You sound like a doctor or a chemist. What do you, which one? Uh, neither. I'm an engineer. Uh, I have a master's <laughs> in manufacturing management, but uh, my forte has been as a Six Sigma black belt. And we look for a simple wow. systematic, system, systematic problems and solutions and find that low-cost answer. And this is it. I well, tried I, to bring I, this out. I like that. And I and I, I believe you, by the way. Well, just tell me the name of the product, the product again, because I don't have a ton of time here. What's the name of the product for those who want to investigate? Sarah Mist. Sarah, S-T-E-R-A. as in, how do you spell that? S-T-E-R-A. Mist. Okay. S-T-E-R-A, Sarah Mist. Thank you for the call, my friend. God bless. I appreciate you, but I've got to go because we're out of time. Mike Gallagher's next. Stay here on AM 1420, The Answer, and we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah.